Well, it is good seeing you this morning, church. I'm Brandon Miller, and I am the campus pastor for our Ahwatukee campus, which happens to be the, the best campus. And uh, shout out, shout out to Ahwatukee over there. I see you guys. I'm missing you this morning. I'll see you next week. But I have the incredible privilege this morning of bringing the word to you. Before I get started, I just want to do what the Bible tells us to do in giving honor where honor is due. And we are honored as a church to have the lead pastors, the leaders of, of generation here. And we are blessed. Can we just honor Pastor Ryan and Pastor Amy this morning and thank God for them? We are blessed, church. God's doing incredible things through them. It's just awesome to be a part of what he's doing. As well, I'd like to introduce to you my family and uh, throwing up a picture for you to see them. That's my wife, Jasmine, and we've been married for 12 and a half years. And uh, the love just grows deeper every year. At least that's what she tells me. And we got my three little nuggets up there, my three little kids, Braylon, he's our oldest, and he's 10. Isaiah is in the middle there, he's eight. And then Chloe, she turns six tomorrow, and she runs the house, and so... Uh, we love our kids most of the time and uh, really enjoy being parents. But um, I'm really excited, as I said already, to, to preach today and to bring the word. And we're going to teach on a subject. We're going to talk on a subject that's really near and dear to my heart and something that God's been teaching me over the last several years and really kind of is a personal testimony to where he's brought me. So this morning, we're going to talk on the subject, am I good enough? Am I good enough? We're going to try to understand and look into the perspective that God has of you and me. And so if you will, look with me into Scripture, to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 16 and 17. And just to set up the story a little bit for us this morning, where we're at in, in this time is Jesus is just about to start his earthly ministry. He's probably around 30 years old, and up to this point, all we know about him is he's been born, he's been proclaimed the Messiah. We see a little story of him when he's a little kid and talking to some preachers and teachers at the temple. And then we come to this moment. And what's been going on is Jesus' cousin, John, we know him as John the Baptist, has been preparing the way for him, has been preaching and teaching, telling people that the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is here to get your life straightened. In that, he's been baptizing many people and just been doing incredible things. And Jesus one day shows up to John's service, goes up to the water's edge where John is baptizing people. and says, John, I need you to baptize me. And John kind of freaks out a little bit, says, Jesus, I'm not worthy to, to baptize you. I, I don't think I could do this. And Jesus says, no, I need you to do this for me. And so Jesus walks into the water and John gets ready to baptize him. And he says, so I don't know, he says something like, hey, I baptize you and you, your daddy and your best friend. And he <laughs> baptizes him. And when Jesus comes up out of the water, we see something very uh, impactful and powerful this morning. This is what it says. Uh, Matthew 3, 16 and 17 says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. And that's where we're going to stick this morning. I just want to read it one more time. What God speaks over Jesus in saying, this is my son whom I love and with him 
I am well pleased. Will you pray with me over God's word this morning? God, we thank you for your word, that it's living and active, and what happened thousands of years ago is relevant to us today. So come, come God, and speak to us. Open our hearts and minds to, to understand and to receive what you have for us and change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, and God, we pray that you would give favor to the Cardinals during the draft, during free agency, because, God, we can't go through another year like we went through this year. And we do pray that you keep Tom Brady from another Super Bowl victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I thought I'd find some common ground there. Uh, if, uh, as you get to know me a little bit more, and if you couldn't tell by the prayer, I just prayed, I, I love sports. I love sports. And growing up as a kid, really all I cared about was sports. I wanted to watch sports, play sports, and I wanted to be a professional sports player. But God gifted me with this body, so I became a pastor. And so growing up, that was really all I cared about. And looking into a season of my life called high school, all I wanted to do, all I cared about was playing high school basketball. That was what I, I look forward to, that was, I didn't care about my grades, that made my mom real sad. I didn't care about how popular I was, I just wanted to play basketball. And so my, my basketball career actually started out really well as a freshman, I made the freshman team and became the starting point guard. My junior, uh, my sophomore year, I made the, the junior varsity team and was a, a big part, big player on a very successful team that year. My junior year, I made the varsity team for our high school. I didn't play at all because I was a scrub, but uh, that was okay because our team was really good and I had my senior year to look forward to. And so my senior year comes around. I'm just excited because this is my senior year of high school basketball. But I lacked uh, the work ethic that was needed to be a, a real good player on my varsity basketball team. And I came into the season, I came into tryouts completely out of shape. I didn't go to any of the off-season conditioning drills. I didn't, I didn't go to the, the, to the weight room and get prepared and all that kind of stuff. And to make the varsity team, you had to run a mile in six minutes. Now, some of you are crazy in here and you're like, six minutes is no big deal. But to me, who hates running, you can't just show up and run a six-minute mile. And so I showed up. I didn't make the mile. I was completely out of shape. I was lagging behind in practice, and it really upset my coaches. And only a few days into tryouts, a friend of mine told me, hey, hey, Miller, did you, did you see that the cut list is up on the board in the locker room? And I said, what? Uh, it just surprised me because that was supposed to happen for another week. You usually get two weeks of trials and then the cuts go up. And so I told my teacher, hey, I gotta be, I'll be right back. I got to go to the locker room and check out, you know, the cut list. And I run to the locker room and I find the list up on the board and I look through the names and I can't find my name. And I was a little taken aback. I, I look back again to the top of the list and I couldn't find my name again. And all of a sudden, I start getting real worried. And at the top of the list was a note that said, if I made cuts today, this is who would be on the team. And my name was not on that list. And I started freaking out because, as I said, the only reason I want to go to school is so I could play basketball. It's the reason I got up. That's the reason I was excited to, to at least try to pass my classes, you know, because I wanted to play Basketball. Now, what am I going to do if I'm not on the team? And I was freaking out. And so I ran to my, my coach's office and I knocked on the door. He opened the door. He said, hey, Miller, what's going on? He knew what was going on. But, you know, was, yeah. I said, coach, I, I need to talk with you. So, yeah, come on in. And 
So I, uh, I walked in the room, sat down on the couch he had in his, in his office, which, of course, was one of those old couches that you sink really deep in so you're looking up at the coach, you know, and just intimidated and, 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 and scared, and I'm holding back the tears and the emotions because I'm wondering what's going on. He said, what's up, Miller? I said, well, Coach, I, I saw the, the list out there, and I noticed my name wasn't, was not in it. I was just kind of wondering what's up. So my coach took the next five, ten minutes, began to tell me why I wasn't on the list and, and I hadn't been at the, the workouts and at the conditioning drills and I came in out of shape. I didn't make the mild time. I, I, and he basically took me to a place and was, told me, Brennan, you're just not good enough right now. Now, it's, it's a hard thing to hear that in life that you're not good enough, especially when it's something that you love. But it's, it's one thing to hear that as a high schooler trying to make a high school basketball team. And my coach ended up giving me a, a second chance. He said, Brandon, I'll give you another week to prove yourself, and you can work hard, and you can prove to me that you belong in this team. And, and I did. I worked really hard for that next week, and I, I made the team. But as the last player on the team, and my name was last on the list, and he said, Brandon, you're on the bottom of the list, and if you want any playing time, if you want to be a part of this, you're going to have to work your tail off the whole year. And, and I worked really hard, and I became the last guy on the bench to one that would come into the game uh, pretty early off of the bench and, and actually was a part of the team that year. And I learned a lot from it. But hearing those words that you're not good enough is really difficult. But it's one thing when you're a high schooler trying to make a basketball team. It's a whole other thing when you feel that way about your life as a whole. And you wonder, am I good enough? I wonder, I'm pretty sure in, in our church here that there's people here this morning that have been in that same place, yeah. been in that place where you've wondered, am I good enough? And maybe you had a, a mom or a dad at some point not, not encourage you enough to feel like you're good enough. Maybe you had a teacher that told you you wouldn't amount to something. Maybe it came along, or a, along in adult life and it was a spouse or it was a boss that told you you weren't good enough. Uh, but it's one thing when you're dealing with people um, and, and it's another thing, a completely different thing, when you're wondering, am I good enough for God? Right. Come on. Am I good enough for his plan? Am I good enough for his calling? Am I good enough for his grace? Yeah. So this morning, I want to touch on that. And that's just a natural struggle that we have as human beings with feeling good enough and seeing ourselves the way that God sees us. Some of the contributing factors to that is simply our nature, our human nature. Since the beginning of time, from the fall of man, Adam and Eve sinned, we have been trying to get back into right standing with God. We were naturally confident in God's presence. Now we shy away because we don't feel good enough. So we wonder. and we, we get into, you can see throughout the history of time, the struggle that people have had, the Old Testament, New Testament, the early church, and the modern church today, people try crazy things to get to a place where they feel good enough in God's eyes. As well, all of us in here know how we have personally made mistakes, how we've had failures throughout our life. And so it's very easy for us to combat and to struggle with this feeling, am I good enough? Because I know all the things that I've done wrong. God has the incredible ability to forget our sin. As he forgives us, he says, your sin is as far as the east is the west from you. Amen. There's no way it comes back to you. There's no way it identifies you. It's like it never existed. But you and I do not have that ability to forget. We remember all too well all the things we've done wrong in life. And so we struggle. 
And then we as well struggle with just the culture and the society that we live in, completely, always competing with one another, comparing ourselves. And there's no bigger trap than simply social media that we deal with today where we are comparing our reality with people's filtered lives, wondering, are, are we good enough? There's a, a natural struggle with that, and this is why we struggle feeling good enough and understanding how God sees us. But in Matthew chapter three, God speaks three things over Jesus that should radically change our lives. Three things God speaks over Jesus that should radically change our lives. And here they are. We'll put it up on the screen again. Verse 17, God speaks out and says, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. Now, before we move forward, there's a principle and there's a truth that you must understand and embrace and, and grab a hold of this morning. And that is that if God spoke it over Jesus thousands of years ago, he speaks it over you today. You see, because when God is speaking over Jesus, he's speaking it over us who, in putting our faith in Jesus, now are covered by Jesus. So when God looks at you and me, he doesn't see Brandon who's messed up and made a lot of mistakes. He sees Jesus who is perfect and completely holy. Anybody like, anybody like those Mission Impossible movies? Come on, I love those movies, right? I love when they make the mask, right? And they, they, they confuse people because they look and they sound like somebody else. And we are like Mission Impossible, where no longer does God look and see my face, he sees Jesus' face. No longer does God hear my voice, he hears Jesus' voice. No longer does God see my actions, he sees Jesus' perfection. And so everything that God speaks over Jesus, you can, you can, it'll change your life. Look through scripture now and see all the things that God spoke over Jesus. He speaks that over you today. And so what he speaks over Jesus in this moment, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, he speaks over us. Because as adopted sons and daughters of God, we can understand what God thinks of us because of what he thinks of Jesus. So, so let's look into these three things that God spoke over Jesus. And the first thing that God did in saying, this is my son, is God established our identity as his sons and daughters. He established our identity. And I believe that the strength of our identity always comes from our father. Now, I, I've, been, I've been in ministry long enough and I've preached enough sermons to realize that when I start talking about dads, it can become a difficult subject for some people to handle. In fact, I'll see some people, they'll just kind of gloss over because their earthly father was not a good depiction of what a father should be. They had struggles. Their hopes and expectations were not met up with. I'll see people, uh, they'll, they'll begin to hold back the tears. Some will just simply get angry when thinking about their dad because they did not live up to the hopes and expectations that we had for our fathers. And so it's a difficult subject. But can I just remind you this morning that our heavenly father is perfect in all his ways. He is perfect. Our heavenly father has never abandoned any kid of his. Our heavenly father has never known, not, he has never not known how to love his children. Our heavenly father has always been there when we've needed him, has always answered us when we called on him. Our heavenly father is perfect in all his ways. So therefore, there is no greater identity that you and I could have in life other than to be called a son and a daughter of God. Now, God begins to build our identity with some gifts that he gives us as our father. 
It gives us the gift of acceptance. It gives us the gift of acceptance. Check out 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. Because you're a child, God accepts you, and he accepts you immediately. You saw my three little nuggets, my three little babies up there. You know what happened when they were born and the nurse handed me them in the hospital? This is what did not happen. I did not look at my babies and say, well, we'll give it a couple of weeks and see how it goes. I didn't have to think about it. I didn't have to give it a try. Immediately, I accepted them as my own. And that's how God looks at us. He's not wondering if you do this thing good enough and giving it a a certain amount of time. I mean, now my kids are 10, 8, and 6, and sometimes I think of giving them up, but that wasn't the case at the beginning. Mr. Church, God accepts us immediately as well. We are gifted by God, and our identity is strengthened by him by the amount that he believes in you and me. He believes in us so much. Psalm 139, verse 17 and 18 says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. Let me ask you a question. You ever gone to the beach and seen somebody with a handful of sand trying to count the grains? No, because that's the dumbest thing we've ever heard. In fact, we would question their sanity if you ever saw somebody trying to do that. But God says, I have thoughts, good thoughts about you that outnumber even the grains of sand. When I grew up playing sports, my biggest fan was my dad. And he was that dad. He was the loud dad. He was louder than any other parent there. He would scream for me. He would tell me how amazing I was. He was the dad that would yell at the referees. You're like, dad, it's third grade basketball. Chill out, you know. He was the dad that will go talk to my coach if I wasn't playing enough. He was that dad. I vowed as a kid to not be that dad, but then something happened. My kids grew up and they started playing sports. They played t-ball. And I was the loudest dad out there. And I wanted my son, you better believe I kept score, by the way. Uh, I wanted my son to be the last one to hit because he got to run all the way around and get a home run. Yeah. That was it. My, I, don't, I don't even know about the rest of the team. I don't even care if they're the best player on the team. They're my kid, and so they're the best to me, and I believe in them. Have you ever seen one of my Instagram posts trying to, trying to show you about my sons playing football? You can't even hear anything else because I'm yelling so loud. It's because they're my kids, and I love them more than anything, and that's how God believes in you. That's right. He believes in you more than you could ever know. God also builds our identity through his security and his presence. God builds our identity through his security and his presence. 1 Thessalonians 3.3 says, but the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. He is our security. He is our protection. Ephesians 3.12 says, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. We are sons and daughters of the king. We get to show up into his presence whenever we want. Whenever we want. It's because he gives us strength to the identity of who we are through his security and his presence. When I was growing up, there was one neighborhood we lived in where we had a neighborhood bully. And this guy's name was Spencer. And uh, Spencer was the biggest kid on the block by far. He was bigger than 
everybody. And in fact, Spencer was so big. When he was a freshman in high school, he made his varsity football team. That's how big Spencer was. And one day we were playing some backyard football uh, out in the street and uh, two-hand touch. And his team, I was on a different team than Spencer, and his team kicked off to my team. And I caught the kickoff, and I started running. I, man, I was so, I had some Barry Sanders moves going on, you know what I'm saying? And the real football fans will get that one. And uh, I was moving, and, and Spencer decided not to play two-hand touch that day. Spencer decided, he was having a bad day evidently, and he decided he wanted to play one-hand slap. And as I tried to juke Spencer out, he took his hand and came right across my face and slapped me and sent me flying into the street, into the sidewalk across the way. Well, I was, of course, embarrassed and, and hurt, and I threw the football down and I walked straight home, through the door, past my dad, up the stairs, into my room. My dad, knowing I was out playing football and could tell there was something wrong, came up to my room and said, Brandon, what's the matter? Is everything okay? I said, Dad, everything's fine. Don't. He said, no, Brandon, there's something's the matter. What's going on? I said, Dad, there's nothing wrong. Everything's fine. And he asked me a third time. You know when your dad asks you three times, you got to answer. So he said, what's wrong? And so I told him the story. My dad didn't say anything to me except follow me and walked right out the door. And I thought, oh, man, here we go. My dad, who um, is, is a, the size of a man that would make Spencer look small at 6'4", walked straight up to Spencer through the game. Games were going straight up to Spencer. And as soon as Spencer saw him, his head went down and he knew he was busted. My dad said, did you hit my son? And I don't remember anything else that my dad said. All I know is that Spencer never messed with me again. And that is how God treats you and me. See, it's not that we won't go through difficult things in life, but he's got our back. That's right. And he's the one that will go to the enemy and say, did you hit my son? Right. Don't, don't mess with him again. That's right. See, this is, this is the type of father you and I have, and this is where we can let our identity be strengthened because of the gifts that God gives you and me. See, I, I, I truly believe this as we move forward into the things that God speaks over Jesus, that we must understand our identity in God through Jesus so we can fully embrace his love and his approval of us. We've got to understand his identity that he gives us. So number two, the second thing that God speaks over Jesus as he says, whom I love, God pours out his love over us. God pours out his love over us. First John 4, 9 explains God's love when it says God showed how much he loved us by sending his son, his one and only son, into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. See, church, we don't ever need to question the love that our heavenly father has for us. He's already proven it. He's already said, you're worth dying for. You're worth me sending my son to die for you. My love is so deep. Then he goes, I love Ephesians 3.18 that says, and may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. See, church, you will never be able to find the end of God's love. You will never be able to find the end of God's love because it's too wide, it's too long, it's too high, it's too deep. It is too deep. I love me some Discovery Channel, and I love when they have all the specials on the ocean. 
And every year they're finding more and more. Why? Because the ocean's so deep. There's never a possibility of them finding the bottom of it and the expanse of, of, of its, its creatures and the things that grow in there. They'll never come to the end of it. And that's how God love is for you and me. There is no way you and I could come to the end of it. God has plenty of it. And the third thing that God speaks over Jesus, I believe, is completely a game changer. As he says, with him, I'm well pleased. God declares his approval of you. God declares his approval of you. Now, I have done so many different things. I have tried so many different things in life to gain God's approval. I'm not a morning person. In fact, I think anything that happens before the sun rises is evil. And so <clears throat> I've tried a lot of evil things like waking up four or five in the morning to pray. You can guess how well that went. I've tried to have perfect church attendance. I've even, some of you won't even know what I'm talking about in this next statement. I have even grabbed tracks and tried to tell people about Jesus on a Friday night. I've done all kinds of things trying to gain God's approval. How about you? What ways have you tried to gain God's approval? I've been a pastor for 14 years. I've seen so many different examples of people trying to gain God's approval. All kinds of things, crazy things that we come up with, trying to gain his approval. But there's a truth for us tonight that there is only one way to earn God's approval. And guess what? It's not hard. It's not hard. It's easy. It's easy, church. All we have to do is have faith in Jesus, and God immediately approves of you and me. Come on, he's pleased with us. See, the, it's easy to gain God's approval because it's not about what you do. It's not about what you do. God's approval of you is not determined by what you do. It's determined by who you are. God's approval of you is not determined by what you do. It's determined by who you are. And you are a child of God, and he loves you more than anything. And so this morning, you and I can be confident in the fact that God approves of us. He taught me this in probably the lowest moment in time of my life at, at that time several years ago. I was a youth pastor at a church for almost seven years, and I felt God transitioning us on. And so I took my wife and then just my two little boys, and we moved to a new city. We had everything planned out. We had everything lined out. It was going to be the greatest thing that we ever experienced in our life. And lo and behold, everything fell through. I mean, everything. The housing we had set up, the jobs we had set up, nothing worked. And I felt like the biggest failure that had ever lived. Most nights ended with me pacing in our little apartment, pacing through the living room, dining room, and kitchen because it was all put together with conversations with God that went kind of like this. God, are you done with me? God, have you given up on me? God, did I mess up too big this time? God, I feel like a failure. God, am I just not good enough? All those dreams and those visions that you gave me, God, is, should I just let it all go? God, what's going on? What's going on? I'm not living out the purpose and the calling that I feel like you gave me. What have I done? Am I good enough, God? In that moment, one of those nights, God said, Brandon, I want you to go to the place where Jesus was baptized. So I found it in Matthew chapter three, read the whole story and got through this. And I said, well, God, okay, that's cool. That's, that's good and everything. 
I like the parts. This is my son whom I love. I, I get it. I'm your son. I know you love me. But that last part, it's hard for me to believe. It's hard for me to believe that I please you, God, because what I'm doing with life, I feel like I'm a failure and I'm not accomplishing what you've called me to accomplish. And God said something that changed my life forever. He said, Brandon, I want you to look back and tell me what Jesus has done with his life up to this point. So I grabbed my Bible and I started, well, we're only in chapter three. There wasn't much to look back on. Now, all the story that they tell is where Jesus came from, that he was born. We see that little moment when he's in the church and then all of a sudden, here he is getting baptized. He hadn't, he hadn't fed 5,000 men plus women and children yet. He hadn't healed one sick person. He hadn't raised anybody back to life. He hadn't walked on water. He hadn't preached one sermon. I said, God, well, I guess Jesus had done nothing. And God said, that's right, Brandon. My pleasure and my approval of Jesus had nothing to do with what he had accomplished. It had everything to do with that. He was my son, and I love him more than anything. It's easy to gain God's approval because it's not about what you've done. At the same time, it's easy because it's not about what you don't do. It's not about what you don't do. God's approval is not based on how well you don't sin. Now, as a church boy that grew up every Sunday going to church, this one messed me up a bit because I lived my whole life trying to do a good job at not sinning. In fact, a lot of church people will tell me, be careful with that, Brandon. You don't want to talk so much about God's grace that you give people a license to sin. I'm like, I never needed a license before. I don't know why I need one now. See, if we truly understand God's grace, we realize that it's not about how well we don't sin. It's about how Jesus was perfect and never sinned. See, the problem is you and I compare each other's sins to one another, but we're not being compared to one another. We're being compared to Jesus. And so we always lose in that comparison because he was perfect. In fact, the Bible says it like this, that in your best day, when you think you're doing your best job to be righteous and right standing with God, your righteousness still looks like filthy rags to God compared to Jesus. So you and I, our approval that we gain from, from God is in no way based on things that we don't do. Remember? Because he sees us as Jesus. So we're already perfect. We're already, already holy. We're already righteous. And it's also easy to gain God's approval because it's not about how well you do it. It's not about how well you do it. God's approval of you is not based on your performance. It is based on your position. It's based on your position. And you're his son. See, I think all the time and we, we think, well, I, gotta, I just got to gotta read more. I got to pray more. I got to go to church more. I got to give more. And all those things are good. And we preach those principles, biblical principles here at Generation Church because they benefit and they bless your life. We don't preach them because we want you to get more of God's approval. God's approval of you is already tapped out. You can't do any better job to get more pleasure out of what, how God sees you. You can't be approved of God any more than you already are. I think of the moments when my kids were trying to learn how to walk. Parents, you remember those days? When they're trying to stand up on their own two feet for the first time? When they get that wobble going? When they trip and they fall? When that began, when that happened with my kids, 
I didn't think different of them because they couldn't do it the first time. I didn't say, oh my gosh, Braylon, you're such a failure. You didn't even walk the first time you tried. (laughs) That's ridiculous. But you and I see God in that way too many times in our life. And he's so upset with us because we failed, because we tripped, because we couldn't do it. He said, I knew you couldn't do it. That's why I sent Jesus. See, I can't find the perfect combination to gain God's approval. Jesus already was the perfect sacrifice. And I can't live a sinless life. Jesus already did that for me. And you, church, you don't have to try and prove that you're good enough. God already did. He sent his son to die on a cross for you. He said, you're good enough to me. I approve of you. You bring pleasure to my life. Come on, church. Let's praise God in that moment. See, my old perspective of how God looked at me was pretty bleak. I'd see a, a mad God, one that was upset at me, one that was, had a short fuse and just ready for me to make a mistake so he could zing me. Tell me what a bad job I was doing. That was, unfortunately, the perspective I grew up of my God. As God began to teach me his word, to teach me his identity and to teach me his love and to show me his pleasure and his approval of me, my perspective began to change. And it changed my life. I no longer see God in that way. I see a God who is willing to get to my level. I see a God who will open his arms so wide, welcoming me in. I see a God who, when I hurt and when I've been broken, will sit me on his lap and tell me it's going to be okay. I see God as one when I try my best and I totally mess up and make a mistake and fail, who cheers me on so loudly the angels tell him to be quiet. That's the God I see. That's my heavenly father. That's your heavenly father. Church, he doesn't look at you with the scowl. In fact, as you look at what God declares over his people in the Old Testament, he would say, may my face shine upon you. His face doesn't shine on you with a glare and a mean look. His face shines on you with a smile and with joy and with love and with approval. That is the God we serve. And that is how God sees you. I want you to go into 2019 realizing that you serve a God that is a perfect heavenly father that loves you more than you could ever know, that claims you as his own sons and daughters, and then approves of you and is pleased by you. Church, would you bow your heads, close your eyes, and just take a moment of privacy and concentration to let God minister to us in prayer. God, I pray this moment that we can embrace how you see us, God. Never have to ask the question again, am I good enough in his eyes? But we could receive, God, the identity that you have for us. Let you build it strong in our core. God, may we experience your love in a whole new way. That love that is so deep, we'll never find the end of it, but you continue to pour it out over us. God, may we, many of us this morning, need this so desperately. May we understand, God, 
the approval you have of each one in this place. God, may we be able to see the, the smile on your face and the arms that are open welcoming us in. In Jesus' name. God, church with heads bowed here in Mesa and in Ahwatukee, I would just like to pray for, for some people that are in this place that have never put their faith into Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But this morning, you want to make that decision. You want to make that declaration. So if that's you, you've never done that before, you simply have to do something really simple. And that's just pray a prayer and believe in your heart. So if you would just pray with me this, dear God, today I recognize I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I believe in your son, Jesus, that he lived on this earth and that his death and resurrection is enough to save me. I declare my life is yours. And from now on, I live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.